0: end of life choice I'll
1: be voting for it I'll be voting against
0: evading emissions
1: That's a big back down
0: and here comes the campaign
1: don't dare write this party off
0: Kelda and welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's a weekly catch-up where we discuss all of the political stories we've been covering this week. I'm Mikey Sherman.
2: And I'm Benedict Collins.
0: And we're back after a little hiatus last week. We were pretty busy, lots going on, um, but we've got lots to talk about, therefore.
2: Yeah, so we've had um, I guess we've had a few highlights over the um, last couple of weeks. Mine was uh, one story we're not actually going to be playing the track for last week, but um, I thoroughly enjoyed doing the story about um, New Zealand First MP, Clay, Mitchell getting the bums rush at a bar in uh, Mount Maunganui, <laughs> um, getting Love getting biffed out. And um, you can check the story out; it's online. But um, the um, the bouncer who threw him out, the head of the security team there, um, he gave us an interview, which is he, he said, "Hey, look, you know Clayton wasn't particularly drunk, but he's standing in the, you know, getting in the way, getting in the way. He wouldn't move." Um, and, hey. Let's be clear, Clayton uh, Mitchell disputes a lot of this. Um, but he did say, hey, look, yeah, look, he's just being a bit of a dick. So we had to um, get him out of there. Uh, and yeah, not not often you get to ask em- members of parliament if they were being a dick.
0: Yeah, but there was lots of um, lots of those sort of expletive words being thrown around a little bit this week as well in parliament. And I reflect now on um, Andrew Little saying he's been dicked around by the National Party uh, over the terrorism suppression bill um, earlier this week. So they had a bit of a exchange of words him and Simon Bridges. Mm. Simon Bridges Mm. saying uh, Andrew Little's uh, negotiating style is uh, belligerent, uh, which means aggressive and hostile. And so um, there was a bit of back and forth going on earlier this week. So that was probably one of my peaks.
2: Yeah, interesting too, eh, that um, on that story, that, that Andrew Little didn't just figure it out with the Greens in the first place? Like- well,
0: I guess he just didn't want to you know, really water anything down uh, when it comes to um, the issue of terrorism in our country. And this terrorism suppression bill, for those of you who aren't sort of up to speed with it, basically will monitor um, those returning New Zealanders um, when they come back from overseas having if, been yeah, engaged in terrorism back. activities, if they come back, like um, jihadist Mark Taylor, who's trying mm. to make his way back. And we've spoken a bit about him um, in our podcasts a couple of times now. Now, um, So, yeah, obviously just so, Andrew Little said, I've had enough with the Nats, haw ha uh, which means, you know, annoying, um, uh, frustrating, et cetera, et cetera, dicked around, if you like, um, and he went with the Greens, and basically they were able to secure a few, Mate, a few concessions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and,
2: and so that they were comfortable with where it landed. So that yeah. they were
0: comfortable, and that was basically around a New Zealand definition of terrorism um, when they're applying that law.
2: Which is fair enough, right, because you... We, and we have had cases in the past, like Amanzali where we' where, where foreign nations deem people to be terrorists, even though, <clears throat> you know, over, over here, you know, and it's all political, you know, because they've been opposing the government or whatever. Yeah, political they activism. Wouldn't meet, yeah, whereas they wouldn't meet our definition of a terrorist.
0: Yes, right? and a couple of other peaks that I'll just mention because we, of, of course, didn't have our uh, podcast last week. But the last time we did have a podcast, I mentioned one of my pits was that the Maori Party uh, wasn't allowing media at their AGM. They phoned me later that evening and said, "Hey, no, my hide my everything is kapai," <laughs> uh, and I went on up there to Fungaihu. Uh, and um, got to do a story on the announcement of their first candidate um, for next year's election and that is Debbie ngarewa Packer, um, who's a, a well-known figure in um, Māori circles uh, in, in her area so she'll be contesting the seat of Te Wauru, which is currently being held by Labour's Adrian Rudafe. The interesting thing with that seat is that Adrian uh, only won by uh, 1,000 votes at the last election and that was the closest fought Māori seat at the last election He went up against the Māori Party's Haui Tamati. Interestingly enough, Haui Tamati didn't have the backing and endorsement uh, of former Māori Party co-leader Tariana Turia. She was actually backing Debbie ngarewa packer in the sort of election um, uh, appointment um, a, a race there within the Māori Party she didn't get her woman last time round this time round she did get her so whether or not that mm. endorsement will make um, a, any sort of um, big difference to those final numbers you sus- we'll see.
2: Do you suspect it could
0: I don't know. I mean, the thing that Adrian has is obviously that big Labour Party machine and they're really good on the ground out there knocking on the doors and that's um, been one of his strengths. And of course, everyone sort of always mentions his sister there who's um, a bit of a wily um, and skilled uh, campaigner. Um, campaign manager so uh, and and as soon as I put my story up she was commenting on my uh, Twitter Twitter (laughs) profile with all of the um, reasons why um, uh, Debbie Ngarewa Pekka will find it challenging to take on her brother so let's keep an eye out on that Um, and just another really quick um, mention also last week we covered the final public hearing for Operation Burnham um, which we've obviously spoken about a lot in our podcast so that was the final public hearing really interesting stuff there we had um, a recall of the former defence minister Wayne Mapp who basically fell on his sword, um, saying, "Yep, I just, I didn't, I should have, um, you know, uh, looked harder into the issue when it came back, uh, when it, when, you know, sort of when it came to my attention. I didn't. That was my bad. Um, but also some questions still there from the crown lawyers um, as to whether Jim Blackwell, the former head um, of the SAS, had more to do with um, any alleged cover-up. So really." Interesting. Interesting stuff, and the um, report due back on that in March next year.
2: Yeah, hey, and another highlight for me um, is a story we've been giving a good kicking on um, One News, and that's the, um, the government's policy on pill testing. Um, the, you know, the police minister wants to get it in place for festivals. He says it'll save lives. We've had New Zealand first blocking them. Uh, last week <clears throat> we had a poll. We, we polled the public on it. Um, enormous support, over 70% of the public in favour. You know, only... <clears throat> Nineteen percent opposed, and then it was quite cool to see um, your coverage at at New Zealand first. The youth wing came out at the weekend and said, "Hey, guys, we we need to take another look at our position on this." So it was pretty cool to see that pop up, yeah, pop up there. And Stuart Nash, of course, told us last week, "Hey, what, you know, he doesn't think he's going to be able to change the law, um, even though you know he." Labour and the Greens both believe this is common sense and the public does too. He doesn't believe we'll be able to change the law in time for the summer. So he's looking at maybe setting up some scientific trials, getting a memorandum of understanding with health officials, with police, with festival organisers, to try and get, you know, you you know your stuff or your drug foundations in there, testing pills, but actually collecting data, you know, collecting data on what happens, seeing how many people chuck them away if they do have bad substances, checking out that advice that they give, you know, if, if they are incredibly strong pills or whatever, and seeing how things... Um, you know, how it actually works, and maybe using that information this summer to try and change the law next year.
0: Yeah, really interesting <laughs> stuff. So, we've got plenty uh, to discuss in this podcast of ours. Another big issue, of course, this week in Parliament has been the euthanasia debate. Let's take a quick look at my track on that. A highly charged issue at Parliament today, MPs deciding whether the public should have the final say. We were elected in a representative democracy to actually use our brains uh, and
1: come to a conclusion. The New Zealand public will engage with this and they will make a wise and informed decision.
0: The law would legalise assisted dying for the terminally ill with less than six months to live. A nationwide referendum has been a bottom line for New Zealand First.
1: The New Zealand people are more capable of making this judgement than temporarily empowered politicians.
0: And with politicians closely divided, the bill's author David Seymour saying every vote is crucial.
1: Look, New Zealand First have nine votes
2: and that's very important to getting the bill passed through Parliament.
0: Nine votes New Zealand First were happy to flex today.
1: If it doesn't have a referendum, and I won't support it. We don't line up for a race expecting to lose, alright?
0: Even MPs who don't want a referendum but back the bill voting yes.
2: This is you know, the price that's got to be paid to make sure um, we do see this progress.
0: Or to make sure New Zealand First is happy.
2: Well, it's a numbers game in politics.
0: The numbers have been close. I'll
2: be voting for it. I'll be voting against. I'm going to support the referendum. I won't be supporting it.
0: In Wellington, the public shared its thoughts. I would personally would like to see it go to a referendum. I think the politicians themselves should make the decision. It would be nice to know the public's opinion. Next year's election already includes a referendum on cannabis, a concern for some MPs. There's enough going on at an election without confusing it with a whole lot of referenda.
2: I think New Zealanders have been underestimated uh, by some politicians.
0: Politicians charged with a big decision on this divisive issue. So that vote ended in 63-4 uh, and 57 against, sending this issue to a public referendum. So a big win there for New Zealand first. It was obviously a big bottom line for them. They want these sort of um, conscience issues, these Huge public issues to go to the public for their say on these things, um, and 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 so they got that across the line. That's likely how the third reading will shake down yeah. next month.
2: So we, yeah, so we've got the third reading next month. Still needs to pass that final hurdle, but then it's I mean it's likely given how things played out the other night that that will go go to a public referendum at, at next year's election. Interesting, you know I think uh, that, that you're going to have two quite you know polarising issues. You're going to have the marijuana referendum and euthanasia at next year's um, election it'll be interesting to see if it's you know sucks up much oxygen out of the election campaigns whether you know the politicians are asked about it day day in and day out um, you know I'm not sure that it will because euthanasia especially like we've mentioned in our tracks this week you know, it seems like 70 75 percent of the public are kind of in favor with it it seems yeah. to be a lot more divisive here at Parliament than it is out in the public and I guess that's because there's so many you know quite conservative politicians here.
0: Yeah, but then expect all of the campaigns, I guess, to, to, to ramp up mm. publicly from all of those who have vested interests um, on either side of this issue. Uh, I was talking to some politicians and they raised concerns about the spread of potential misinformation on these types of issues in order to influence so it'll be interesting to to sort of wade through all of that as the media uh, next year as we get closer to the election. I hope it doesn't suck up too much oxygen because next is going to be a crucial election for Labour. Are they going to get back in or not—that's the big question. How's New Zealand First going to pan out in all of that, given the polls? And it's going to be—it's going to be a full-on election year, and I'm looking forward to it.
2: It is interesting that it's going to a referendum now, because it, it seems to me like this process has been going for so long. We've had select committees all around, you know, the, the country on this matter. It's just been, you know, back and forwards in and out of the house and for so, so long. And now, rather than getting a resolution next month, you know, we're kicking it. You know it's going to continue to play out for another year
0: And we had the likes of um, Lewis Awar who in her speech um, during this debate was saying that she supports um, euthanasia but that she absolutely does not support it going to a referendum and also the fact that New Zealand First is sort of flexing its muscle in this way, holding the issue to ransom saying if you don't give us a referendum we're not going to back it and and it will therefore likely um, fall over so she voted against it even though she's personally in support of it On the flip side, you know, when um, MPs were sort of making their way into the house I spoke to Willie Jackson he said you know he's been tussling with this issue and that he was going to um, vote yes for a referendum then he calls me up the next morning and he says hey actually once I got into the house Mikey <laughs> I had a thought about it and I thought mate I don't support referendums so what am I doing so he actually switched his vote back so it was really down to the wire for a lot of MPs and when you look at those numbers you know 63 in favor 57 against that's a split of you know a different of six votes New Zealand first nine votes really were crucial in that and I think that's why David Seymour knew um, that he had to back them on that so It'll be interesting to see once it goes to the yeah, public. It is,
2: it is very consistent with New Zealand first kind of uh, you know view on things to take this to a referendum. I do have a bit of a giggle when I hear you know Winston Peters and co going on about temporarily empowered politicians not being right to make this call, given mm. you know Winston's been temporarily empowered for about forty years. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, hey, should we check out another track? This is um, the government's uh, emissions trading scheme announcement this week. Taking candy from children in Hawke's Bay today, but bringing a treat of her own.
0: It's great to hear that the government's giving the farmers time to to work on solutions. I think it's a great decision.
2: Making farmers join the emissions trading scheme not worth the fight. We could have forced the sector into a pricing regime... That it was completely allergic to. Now a new plan
3: that commits the government, farmers, and EWI to work together over the next five years to reduce emissions.
2: The government even getting a pat on the back from National. Kind of. The fact that the government is talking to farmers, that is a good thing. Have they not just kicked the can down the road for another six years? Absolutely. I mean, this is a this is a decision to make a decision somewhere down the down the track. So um, uh, it's actually a back down. It's a big
3: back down. Absolutely not. This is a plan.
2: What do you say to people who voted for Labour thinking that you guys were going to bring agriculture into the ETS in your first term? Well, we are. That's exactly what we're doing. But it's not the ETS. Isn't. No, it isn't the ETS, no. Greenpeace says farmers just got another free pass. You have a tool right in front of you right now called the Emissions Trading Scheme, which you could put agriculture in tomorrow. But instead the government says, oh no, we want to invent a whole new idea uh, in 2025. Greenpeace argues the government's just been steered down by the powerful agricultural lobby. But ministers say if farmers don't play ball and reduce their emissions, they reserve the right to bring them into the ETS we now don't have any proper climate policy to cut our agricultural emissions which is our biggest
1: polluting sector we trust them and we think of this has been enormously a triumphant uh, decision for common sense
2: hoping that by working with farmers the plan will survive because if the farmers themselves are saying that this is the solution why would the would a new national government want to mess with that as they've done repeatedly farmers finding another way to avoid the emissions trading scheme now, this was a really interesting announcement yesterday morning. Um, you know, the Prime Minister, uh, the Climate Change Minister, and a whole lot of leading agricultural figures coming in and saying, "Hey, guys, nope, we're not going to put agriculture into the ETS like the Greens and Labor had both promised that they were. And instead, they're going to set up, they're, they're going to create an entirely new, um, an invent an entirely new way of pricing emissions off the farm um, and bring it into um, effect in 2025. Now." <coughs> there's a bit of debate there because technically in the legislation agriculture they kind of do bring it into the ETS but they will only actually kick that off that will only come into effect if the government decides that farmers aren't playing ball um, and aren't working towards you know trying to reduce their emissions so there is that backstop that they could bring it into the ETS but given yesterday they were arguing that it doesn't make sense to do that I don't think um, they would do that at all now the cynic in me kind of looks at yesterday's announcement and says, All "Right, you're not you're not bringing it into you're not bringing agriculture into the ETS like you said you were. Agriculture is responsible for fifty percent of our emissions. Farmers are going to pay nothing for those emissions for another six years." And everything the government's saying is relying on all these, uh, on inventing and creating all these things that don't currently exist. Which I right? think
0: is probably one of the biggest reasons why farmers may have a legitimate out um, on this issue if you were to argue in their defence, is because they're asking to make all of these rapid changes where the technology just isn't there. And we've heard that time and time again.
2: So, yeah, so this is where it gets kind of tricky because there, there are some technologies for measuring. And some technolo- uh, for measuring your emissions, and some technologies for mitigating uh, your emissions on farm at the moment. But when we talk to farmers, and when we talked, I spoke to Tim Mackle yesterday from Dairy NZ. It's clear things aren't, you know, they're not entirely fit for purpose right now, and they need to keep working on these things. So whether or not they're going to be able to get these up to um, up to speed in time for 2025 or whether there's just going to be another out, you know, and they're just going to kick the can on down the road even further. I'm not sure. Uh, You know, we're really going to have to wait and see. And even yesterday when we, um, we had a camera um, crew with, with the prime minister, when she went up to the, um, to Hawke's Bay, to the Hastings, I think it was the AMP show yesterday. Mm -hmm. One of the farmers was saying, look, you know, and and they were all delighted at the government's announcement. And, you know, even national was pretty delighted with the government's announcement. Um, You you know, and, and they're saying, look, we, we, we want to improve, but we don't have the technologies in place just yet to be able to do this. Um, and then, so that's the cynic in you, and you look at Greenpeace, and they're just, you know, appalled with yeah. what the government's doing here. Saying it's just a cop-out, they've been, you know, they got steered down by the agriculture sector, and, and it's the government that blinked first. You know, And but then you look at the other side of it, it's like, well... I kind of see what James Shaw is saying, right? When he says, hey, we could have dragged the agriculture into the ETS, you know, and they would have fought and against us every step of the way. And, you know, it would have been almost a, unpro- an unproductive way of doing things. Maybe this way, if we bring them along with us, you know, we can cr- try and create this new pricing mechanism and they're on board. And we kind of protect it from a future national league government just coming in and caning the whole thing if we bring farmers with us so I do kind of see that logic
0: It's going to be disappointing though for for the likes of Greenpeace to have finally gotten their guys into power I guess you know the likes of the Green Party and Labour who they would have thought had been camp- you know the, who well, have well, been well, campaigning yeah, on this yeah, was, they who were, who were in this corner when they were, only know, to turn around yeah. and say actually guys we've gotten into um, government and the realities are a lot different to uh, the perceptions when you're sitting on the outside um, you know in terms of opposition looking in and then when you get into that um, you know into government then you realise just how strong one, um, that farming voice is, they they are a strong uh, sector um, and they certainly know how to um, promote and get their messages out, Um, you know you have to sort of just sit, sit, sit back and look at it. Um, you know, from from the outside looking and just saying, "Wow, you know, you get the might that the farmers have and the voice that they have." You showed those old pictures when they sort of led the tractor up the stairs in the time mm, of Helen yeah. Clark. They've been able to fight and keep this at bay um, and, and win time and time and, again. And that's yeah. a sign of the might and the power that that sector has. Um, so not to be underestimated, I think. Um, so maybe it is a better option for the government to try and work with them. The key thing mm. is how will they monitor? It's going to be that monitoring that's going to be crucial because if they say, look, we've got this piece of legislation, we can bring them into line if they don't buck their ideas up and you know get into better shape, then we will use this legislation. The key is, OK, how are you going to be monitoring they that?
2: They don't know. They, yeah. they've, they've got to invent all that You know, or we'll develop new systems to do this and come up with an entirely new one. For agriculture so it's interesting you know when you listen to the prime minister saying oh we're the first country in the world to do this we're leading the way it's like well you haven't actually done anything you know this is all you know five six years down the track you're going to develop and invent these new things and you know that's all yet to be seen
0: yeah yeah now from farmers to the firearm community winston peters had some protesters outside the new zealand first conference to contend with over the weekend let's take a look at my track on that Never one to shy away from a gunfight.
1: We're not out to get you.
0: Winston Peters and his posse of MPs fronting up over government gun reforms.
1: We're feeling as a shooting community that that we we are another 250,000 victims.
0: They're threats that you could lose votes. Do you take that seriously?
1: Well, it's a very bad negotiating point if you begin by making threats.
0: Winston Peters certainly has plenty of advice.
1: My message to the media is... Don't dare write this party off.
0: His comments on the media, though, didn't end there, making light of the announced sale of TV3, which has left the jobs of hundreds of employees in limbo.
1: I'm sorry for some of them, because they deserve to stay. But for some of them, good riddance.
0: A more tactful strategy saw New Zealand First distancing itself from Labour and the Greens today.
1: Damaging policies. Like the complex capital gains tax. Getting a
0: jump on next year's election. How important is it for New Zealand First to be that handbrake for the government at times?
1: Well, we're a supercharged turbo when it comes to good ideas and a handbrake for unsound ideas.
0: The same strategy could mean bad blood with National is now water under the bridge.
1: Yes, it'll be difficult. But nobody, no party's beyond redemption.
0: Bridges, the leader, though, will need to redeem himself, starting with Slushy Gate, where he criticised correction staff.
1: For those poor guys in the full safety vests working in our prisons who wanted something to keep them cool like a slushy, he thought it was a joke.
0: As for its internal politics, New Zealand first in the last month has seen the resignation of its party president, an embarrassing gun faux pas by Minister Shane Jones and MP Clayton Mitchell thrown out of the bar. Not that the party accepts any of it.
1: If anything you were saying about Clayton Mitchell was remotely true, why has he been invited back this Sunday evening to the same bar to watch the Rugby World Cup?
0: Here at the conference tomorrow, all eyes will be on Winston Peters' big speech, expected to outline the direction New Zealand First will take in government if re-elected. So this track was from the Saturday of the conference. Um, So everyone just sort of getting into um, the conference and and sort of Winston Peters obviously taking the strategy of talking up the fact that they are a um, a central piece of this uh, coalition government. He was happy to talk that up, but also keen on distancing um, themselves from Labour and the Greens during that conference. Uh, He made a lot of comments sort of saying that we're the handbrake um, when it comes to unsound ideas. um, and then he also slightly left the door open for national, saying that we would work with them, even though the next day he went on to say we are the National Party with a capital N. So basically that's Winston trying to play all sides in this, and he's really gearing up for the election. They say they don't care about the polls when they're consistently polling below 5%, though. You've got to say that there'll be some nerves in the background. So they're kicking into campaign mode, uh, and we saw that at the conference.
2: Yeah, what was what was the highlight of the conference for you.
0: I did enjoy the conference, but I'd tell you what the low light was. I wouldn't probably say the highlight, but the low light was his keynote speech on the Sunday. I thought it was very flat. It was an anti-climax. We had a good day on the Saturday. It seemed like there was some good momentum there, some good messaging coming through. He did a stand-up with the media early on. It was all very open compared to the likes of the Māori Party and the Green Party, who we've criticised recently for having really sort of closed off AGMs. New Zealand First AGM was very much open and yeah. we saw that with the debate that we were able to witness on that pill testing but then it came to that big sort of centrepiece speech of Winston Peters and it just, it just was so lacklustre, there was nothing in it. Um, the day before we were told, yep, you know, expect a policy announcement, later that afternoon on the Saturday I was told, actually no, there is no policy announcement, the next morning they said, yes, actually there is a policy announcement, get to the speech and there was basically nothing in there and then Winston Peters tried to point to the fact that, you know, yes, I, I mentioned things like uh, reviewing the uh, RMA, we're going to change the RMA, but there's already a review underway on the RMA. I think and, they
2: play that trick every year yeah, at the and, annual and conference. Oh, we've got a policy announcement. And, the, the, and he nah, was like, he oh, does. we're
0: going to get uh, uh, women into trade training. And I was, I'm pretty sure that was already happening, especially under the national government. Um, but then even the next day, <laughs> Chris Hipkins announced trade training announcements, but there was nothing specific to do with women. So it was very odd. It was a missed opportunity, I think, a year out from the election, especially with such a good Saturday that wasn't a very good speech.
2: Yeah, hey, and speaking of being a year out from the election, last week we ran our latest poll. Uh, let's check out the results
4: snaffling up support. Mm. That's good. With these numbers, National plus Act equals a government.
2: What this poll shows is that the Labour Party talked a big game, but that so far New Zealanders aren't seeing
4: any results.
3: Uh, obviously there are a, a number of things that we have plans to do over the next 12 months that I think will only continue to boost New Zealanders' confidence.
4: The last time this many people picked blue was just before the 2017 election. This is our 12th poll since then. For much of the last two years, the two main parties have been neck and neck. And while Labor did have a bump after the Prime Minister was praised for her handling of the Christchurch attack, in the last three polls, National has pulled ahead.
3: As a a government, our numbers are still strong. In fact, we're in a better position than when we uh, were even elected.
4: Labor's support is softening despite successful trips to Japan and New York. But she's also had the accusations of misconduct and sexual assault by a Labour staffer to deal with. Digging into the numbers, Labour has lost votes from middle-aged women, suggesting the issue didn't play well with them.
3: Certainly the feedback that I get from, um, from, from New Zealanders is that the things they make decisions about are the things that affect their everyday lives.
4: Personally, Simon Bridges is still struggling, but now nearly double Judith Collins.
2: I don't read too much into the personal stuff.
4: Wannabe National MP for Botany Christopher Luxon didn't register this time. He revealed his plans to One News after the poll finished. When it comes to counting friends, Simon Bridges only has ACT.
2: National will have options.
3: People should watch this space.
4: Jacinda Ardern has the Greens and New Zealand first.
3: Our coalition partners All three parties um, are performing solidly uh, in between election years. Both
4: parties may be happy to hear the number of people who don't know how they'll vote has gone up to 18%. That's a five-point jump and proves there are a lot of votes up for grabs.
2: Hey, so this was a fascinating result. We had National up to on 47%, 60 seats just by themselves, and with ACT... They'd be able to form a government, and Labor take a bit of a slide down, down three. Um, yeah, it was. You know, the first time I think in quite a while that, you know, National could have formed a formed a government.
0: And it's the trend that we've been seeing time and time again with our One News Colmar Brunton polls, is that that sort of tracking of, of National maintaining that core support, but even tracking slightly up and Labour sort of uh, feeling the the heat of, of, of government, I guess. And so it was a very, very strong poll for Simon Bridges, especially creeping ahead of Judith Collins, just to put that little bed bug to bed. Um, creeping <laughs> ahead of Judith Collins there, love to be yeah, yes. in those preferred prime minister polls, uh, hitting that nine percent, and thankfully uh, for him, uh, Luxon wasn't anywhere to be seen.
2: Yeah, one of the things I think is quite interesting. I've been wondering about since we did that poll. Is we we assume basically that um, uh, parties that. Don't That do hold a seat or don't hold a seat continue to do that. So that becomes relevant for like New Zealand first, right? When they're sitting on four, we say, well, you're not going to get back in, in, into Parliament because we're assuming because they don't hold an electorate seat at the moment, if they don't hit that 5% threshold, they're not going to get back in. I think it's going to be really interesting next year to see what they do in Northland and whether, as um, quite a few people suspect, they're going to launch Shane Jones into Northland where he's got quite a big support base and where, you know, people are saying to me you know um through the provincial growth fund they are just pumping so much money into every little town in northland mm. you know and whether that's going to be you know their emergency Um, you know, boat there to get them back into parliament, even if they don't hit that five percent threshold.
0: And they managed to win it with Winston Peters uh, last, you know, the the by-election in the by-election. So it it can be done, um, and it will be crucial for them. Yeah,
2: but I mean, Matt Matt King from National, then he rolled rolled Winston at the election run, and I always thought that that by-election just played perfectly into Winston's hands because it was such a circus you know with um, the National MP having to resign from Parliament under a cloud and you know it just all played into Winston's hands and it was you know a complete it was great it was (laughs) a complete circus but it'll be interesting to see what you know whether they do do that up in Northland also I thought the other thing uh, really interesting thing there was um, Simon Bridges saying, "Hey, watch this space. We've got um, we've got friends on the way." Kind of you know making those comments, and, uh, and you guess he's talking about sustainable sustainability New Zealand that's about to launch um, in a couple of weeks with Vernon Tarber Whether mm. whether that's what he's referencing, um, and I'm not sure how that will play out. Whether you know they'll do a handshake somewhere, or whether they're thinking. They could hit that and threshold.
0: I, just on that um, friends for national uh, point, uh, interesting to note that when I was at that multi party conference, I asked them, "What about you know national? Would you know people want to know if you if you get back into parliament, will you be going with national?" The president Che Wilson sort of mentioned it might be a good chance for them to just stay in opposition, um, and and you know they they felt the burn and they obviously got burnt um, at the last yeah. election by that that relationship with national. Mm. So uh, I, I wouldn't some bridges. Uh, shouldn't likely count on multi Party even if they did get in, perhaps.
2: Yeah. Hey, and the other um, thing I just want to talk about with the poll, and you can check this out, on our, it's up on our website as well, is for the first time we did approval ratings. And I thought that was fascinating. Cause, and I think it's a lot fairer to Simon Bridges to ask pe- people whether they approve or disapprove of what he's doing as leader of the opposition than it is to ask whether he's their preferred Prime Minister. Because I think it you know, gives the current Prime Minister a big head start mm. in those polls. So we had... Um, 62 uh, percent of people approved of um, Jacinda Ardern as prime minister, the role she was doing in that job. 29% disapproved, and 29% approved of Simon Bridges, and about half disapproved. So that gave Jacinda a, um, a positive 33 rating as um, approval rating, and Simon Bridges had minus 22. And I thought. Um, Do you
0: think those are more accurate um, reflections? Oh, yeah, I think
2: it gives a better reflection on what the public actually thinks about how they're doing in their, in their roles. And to, so we had um, positive 33 for the Prime Minister and Simon Bridges on minus 22. And um, as Jess pointed out in her track, that compares to Angela Merkel, uh, the German leader on positive four percent trump on minus 16 and uh poor old jeremy um corbyn on minus 60 so yeah some interesting figures and we're going to keep um asking approval rating questions in the future over polls as well
0: and i tell you what the next poll is going to be really interesting because this one just shows that 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 shine that gloss on the government on Jacinda Ardern is starting to wear thin what are the next results going to tell us
2: yeah, it'll be fascinating, especially. I think they had that big bump um, after the Christchurch attacks, where the prime minister was so prominent. They went up quite a lot. Since then, the last three we've just seen National just start to start mm-hmm. to edge away from them. And of course, I mean Labour Party—they'll tell you, oh, no, no, our polls show you know we're we're in poll position. And and I guess you know the prime minister's response would be, hey, we, we've got options. We've got friends. You know, we've got we've got the Greens and we've got New Zealand First. So we're we're in a more powerful position than National. But you know, things are starting to look dicey for, you know, look like a very close thing next year.
0: And on that note we'll leave you here, Uh, this was One News Inside Parliament, our weekly catch up about the political stories we've been covering we're on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, it's available around this time each week on One News Now and check us out on your favourite podcasting app.